The Five Star Zone with Rico Beard. Hey, welcome to another edition of The Five Star Zone. I'm your host, Rico Beard. We're going to recap week 11 in the Big Ten. And really, the big game. The big game was Michigan's defeat over Penn State. And Michigan goes in to Happy Valley, defeats Penn State 24-15. to With everything going on with the Wolverines, with all the stuff being said about them all year long, they haven't played anybody. They played a bunch of cupcakes. Then you had Jim Harbaugh being suspended. Then you had the maybe you could get a judge to get an injunction to let him coach the team. The team found out he was getting suspended on the plane. I mean, so much adversity going on. Sharon Moore having to step in and coach this team. He's done it before. He did it earlier this year. So I guess that was a good thing. Sharon Moore and the University of Michigan went into Happy Valley handled their business how they did it multiple ways they realized that Penn State was bringing pressure off the edge Chop Robinson those guys they were constantly just coming after JJ Michigan made a huge adjustment Sharon Moore brought out the jumbo O-lineman brought out extra O-lineman and they just ran the ball down the throat of the Nittany Lions So much so that I believe I don't have the exact number, some 30-plus straight running plays. Put it this way. Michigan didn't pass the ball at all in the second half. That's how dominant the run game was. Blake Corm, 145 yards, two touchdowns, none bigger than that second touchdown. After Penn State, I don't really know what Penn State and James Franklin was thinking when they went for it with like four minutes to go on their own 30-yard line. In my opinion, Michigan, it, it reminded me a lot of I don't know if you guys remember when Michigan State defeated Michigan in 2017. It was the rain game at uh, at at uh, in Ann Arbor at the Big House, and MSU jumped to an early lead, and then they just basically played keep away and let's run out the clock. I don't think they passed the ball at all, or they didn't complete a pass in the second half. They ran, 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 and just milked the clock, and that's what Michigan did. Once Michigan got that lead. Once they jumped ahead off the turnover and had a double-digit lead, they just ran the ball, and they just milked the clock, and it worked. There was no need to try anything else. I mean, J.J. finishes, what, seven of eight for 60 yards, probably taking him out of the Heisman unless he has like 500 yards against Ohio State. But they've always said this isn't about awards. This is about winning. And Michigan, through the face of adversity, went out there and got the job done. Say what you want about the Wolverines. Say what you want about all the things going on around them. To walk into a place and not pass the ball in the second half, that's utter dominance. There's really no other way way to put it. You just said, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. And you know what? You can't stop us. It goes back to the early days of like the old Nebraska wishbone where you knew the play. You knew where it was going. You knew who was going to run the ball. You just couldn't stop it for you old heads out there. That's how that was. Michigan just kept lining up and running and running and eating the clock and eating the clock. It wasn't about scoring with them. It was about the clock management with them. And you just had to wait for good old James Franklin to be, well, good old James Franklin. So much so, horrible play calls. Penn State started chasing points 
early instead of just kicking. If if Penn State kicks the two extra points instead of going for two, then it's a seven-point game instead of a nine-point game, and you play things totally different. You're not – it's differently. You're not going into desperation mode. You're just going into, okay, we just need to score. But now at the end, because this idiot decided to kick – and started not to kick two extra points, but go for two two-point conversions, and you missed them both. Now you're down nine. Now you have to not only score, but you also got to get an onside kick. You're playing more desperate. The fact that on fourth down, like I said, with like four minutes and 13 seconds to go into the game, your defense, it, the sad reality is the Penn State defense, man, you got the, the offense, and James Franklin owes that defense an apology because that defense went out there and played an impressive game, did everything they could to keep them in this thing. Probably a little bit too aggressive early on, some zero blitzes in that first half, and Michigan took advantage of that. But Manny Diaz and that defense did everything that they could. And with four minutes and 13 seconds to go, I believe, in the game, you punt the ball, you let the defense do what they have to do. You were probably going to get the ball back with about two minutes left, maybe two minutes and 30 seconds if you use your timeouts. Instead, you go for it, you miss, very next play, Corm goes, he scores. And at that point, that's pretty much the ball game. I, I Penn State ended up firing their head, I mean, their offensive coordinator, which it should have. I mean, that play calling was so bad that Jay Johnson, Michigan State OC, was like, damn, was he really calling those plays? Like, None of that play calling made a lick of sense. Drew Aller, the moment just looked too big for him. He was behind on every receiver. The guys were open, but he just couldn't hit them because Michigan was bringing pressure, and the moment was just too big for him. There's really no other way around it. Penn State loses the game. Michigan wins, keeps them on path with Ohio State. Ohio State Ohio State handled business. The 38-3 against Michigan State, I don't think anybody saw this thing coming. I think the only thing you really learned was I think Marvin Harrison Jr. may have put himself into the Heisman Trophy uh, conversation. Now, he probably is going to need some punt return or kick return to really make it special. But right about now, yeah, just watching him. and the, I mean, he scored three touchdowns against Michigan State. You know, same thing he did last year. Uh, Ohio State looks to be clicking. They're really setting this thing up for that final weekend now what's going to happen who's going to be the coach on the sideline i don't know if you're sharon Moore, sharon um newsflash jim harbaugh's still alive you probably saw him at the hotel waiting for you at the game no need to cry for the crocodile tears this wasn't your first game it's going to be okay but treating him like he's dead or like he's imprisoned or he's some you know tragic hero dude no just no I mean, good. If I was if I was any one of Coach Moore's friends, I would be letting him have it right now. Like, bruh, seriously, why are you acting as if the man had died and you were doing one winning a game for the Gipper? He was there. He rode back on the plane with you. He probably sat next to you. I mean, I get you were emotional, but come on, man, you got to do better than that. Um, but yeah, they got Maryland coming up next, and I think for Michigan, it's just this is where. I think it's a good thing that Harbaugh is going to be your coach during the week. And you got to put away all the distractions. You showed me you could do that before because Maryland is the ultimate. 
you don't care about them. You're focused on Ohio State. The world wants to see because by the time the next college football ranking comes out, you guys may be one and two or at least one and three. But Maryland is sitting there like, well, we're not dirt either. You got to focus on them, but you don't want to run too many plays. You don't want to get anybody hurt. It's a weird count. It's a weird situation. You'll beat Maryland, but you just can't overlook Maryland if that makes sense. But yeah, if you're Michigan, you handle your business. You fought through adversity. You did what you had to do. And the fact that I tip my cap to you if I had one on running the ball on every play in the second half shows just how dominant that offensive line was. It showed that when the chips were down, we're just going to lean on the running back. We're going, you went back to the Michigan roots and Blake Corm, and you got the job done. As far as Ohio State, you look like you're starting to heat things up. Kyle McCord is realizing I got to get the ball to Marvin Harrison. I got to get it to him in space. The defense of Ohio State looks good. I think they get Minnesota next weekend, and then they're preparing to come to travel to the University of Michigan for the matchup that everybody's been waiting for. And we'll see if Ryan Day can get it done this time. But we'll talk about more about that when we get there. For MSU, you realize that uh, Sam Levitt is going to redshirt this year, which is he's been mismanaged all year. He he probably should not have played in the Michigan game. You could have squeezed. I would have tried to save the Indiana game. Playing him against Penn State and Ohio State, the kid's not going to learn anything. But next week against Indiana would have been a valuable lesson on the road. Indiana's a talent like yours that I think that you possibly – you know, could have learned something, but Sam Levitt's not going to be there. We also found out Texas A&M fired their coach, and you're like, this is a Big Ten podcast. Why does What does that matter? Here's why that matters. With Texas A&M firing Jimbo Fisher, they have officially become the best job in town with the most money. For Michigan State, you had the leg up, but I think in the end, you – I don't know who your guy is going to be, but Texas A&M has the oil money they – they're going to make sure that they get whoever they could get to become the best guy for the job, plain and simple. Um, I don't know if you're going to be going after the same people. Mike Elko, probably, he's probably going to be their main focus. And if that's the case, I'm trying to think, how, how can I put this? You're probably not going to get Mike Elko. Texas A&M, oil money, if they want them, they can have them. Now, they may go after some other people. Uh, I think the uh, University of Texas San Antonio coach, UTSA, may be another guy. Kind of off the radar, but he's young. They may go that route. Won't have to pay him that much, but he's very familiar with the state of Texas. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to go big fish. Maybe this is the reason why Urban is balked and said, you know what? I'm going to wait and see. Maybe he was waiting on that phone call. I don't know. But if you're Michigan State, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people are just not happy with the coaching search, if you're a Spartan fan and why you wanted that home run higher, Urban Meyer, it wasn't the person. Urban, Urban Meyer represented an idea. And that idea was to get back into the pool, to get back to the big boy table, to get back to being relevant. What Urban Meyer with the playoff expanding to 12 teams next year, you had a shot, you had a chance. Urban could get a, be a quick turnaround. Bring in another coach is kind of a ho-hum type of thing because the next coach will probably need, let's face it, two to three years. Now, what does that mean? It means that last year the team finished five and seven. This year the team 
may win one more game. So let's just say they beat Indiana. That means that the team is going to finish four and eight. It means that next year you're probably looking at another losing season and even maybe a six and six year after that, which means four straight years of piss poor mediocrity, bad football in East Lansing. I don't think fans want to see that. That's why they want to jumpstart. It wasn't necessarily Urban Meyer, but Urban just meant he was a cheat coach. You could skip ahead. You could become relevant. You want to watch football games again. You want to see fun because right now football in East Lansing is not fun whatsoever. It's quite depressing. And knowing that you may have another two years of subpar football, which makes it four straight years. And if look for the new coach, the past two years was not his fault. But for Spartan fans, you don't get the do-over. All four years have just been so bad that, yeah, I see that the next two years will probably be bad. You don't know who your you don't know who the head coach is going to be. You don't know who the quarterback is going to be. You don't know what recruits you're keeping. You don't know who you're going to get out the portal. There's so many unknowns that it's hard to get excited for MSU football. That's what Urban Meyer meant. It wasn't the person. It was just the idea of skipping ahead in line. Whoever you pick as the coach, probably going to start all over. Now, Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, guys, once again, I'm not really feeling this guy because he hasn't ever crossed the Mississippi. I don't think he's crossed the Rocky Mountains. He, it, sometimes it could be you could be a good coach but a bad fit, and it doesn't work out. See John L. Smith at Michigan State. See Rich Rodriguez at the University of Michigan. Sometimes you can be a really good coach. But the school and your coach just aren't a match. They don't fit. And you end up wasting three or four years. And now you've really set your program back. If you want to be a half, you want to be a big boy, you're going to have to go out and get a coach. I don't know who that guy is. From what I've gathered, it it appears that Alan Howler, the AD, is looking at the previous coaching experience or current head coaching experience as a plus. I don't know where you go. I don't know where you look. Um, I'll probably come out with a podcast with a list of names, but realistically speaking, within two weeks, you need to kind of wrap this thing up. And sadly, because Texas A&M has jumped in there, they're about to go after some big name coaches. And now because you haven't locked one up, they're your competition. Funny thing is, I mean, even though I think the game has passed them by, I was like, yeah, well, you know, somebody asked me, what about Jimbo Fisher? I don't know. Jimbo's a good coach. Whenever you coach in Texas, the state of Texas, Georgia, or or Tennessee, or Florida, if you're not winning a national title, then you're losing. It's the Ricky Bobby mentality of second place is first loser or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I mean. If you're not winning a national title, Jimbo did okay at AM, but he wasn't great. It kind of reminds me of Tom Herman when he was at Texas. He did okay. He just wasn't great. A lot of coaches get run out of town. Doesn't mean they're bad, but it does mean that maybe if you get in a better situation, you could have better results. I mean, heck, if James Franklin coached at Texas or Florida or Florida State or I'm trying to think, or Tennessee. Or Texas A&M, James Franklin would have been fired. He's 1-12 against top five teams. That means going into the game, you know he's going to lose a big-time game, which means at 1-12, he's never going to win you a national title. That's what that means. He would have been fired. 
So there's a list of names out there. I'll do a I'll do a pod just on MSU coaching names, but if you're MSU, you can't wait to hire a president. If you do that, you're just gonna submarine your entire program. If that's the case, good luck trying to get fans to be interested. Because by the time you hire a coach, he's gonna be so far behind the A-ball. If you thought when they hired Mel Tucker it was bad, he got signed the day before signing day. You may be hiring, making that same mistake again, which means you're gonna probably have to overpay and reach for somebody. The only person happy about that is Jason Candle, the head coach at Toledo, because he's probably going to be the only guy who picks up the phone so late in the game. It's going to be an upgrade for him. But is he going to bring in players? He's already going to be behind the eight ball. It's going to be a lot like the 2020 year with Mel Tucker. And even though it was COVID, that was just a bad team that he had to flip. And then the next year he caught lightning in a bottle with Kenneth Walker and made it fun. Can that next coach do that if you wait that long. So you can't wait to hire a president. You just got to go out there. You got to find a coach. And I think your your drop dead date is probably, you know, by the Big Ten Championship game, Championship Week, which is December 2nd. If you don't have a coach by then, man, you're setting yourself really, really, really far behind and deep in the hole. So I'll have more on that coaching search later, but I just want to give a quick recap of the week. Oh, and by the way, I think uh, David Braun, interim coach for Northwestern, congratulations. If Northwestern doesn't hire you, they're a bunch of idiots. They're not as smart as I think that they are. The fact that you already have them on the teetering on being bowl eligible after everything that went on in that program, you're the guy. You're the head coach. Don't overthink this, Northwestern. You got your guy. Make it happen. Lock him up. Because at this point, he may be the coach of the year in the Big Ten. If you look at everything that happened, he kept it together. If he makes it to the bowl game, if I had a vote, he's going to be my guy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Keep subscribing. Tell your friends. I'll be back a little bit later on this week. There's going to be more saga in Michigan. There's going to be uh, MSU coaching candidacy podcast. Plus, I'm going to have Howard Griffith of the Big Ten Network on later on in the week. So, Plenty to discuss in the Big Ten, but for now, I'm going to sign off. As I said, keep liking, subscribing, reviewing the five-star zone. I'm Rico Beard, your host. I will see you all later in the week.